Hey friends, I hope you're all staying as safe and healthy and comfortable as possible, and that you're taking care of all the people and pets that are important to you. My family and I went away for a vacation last week. Both my wife and myself are native New Englanders, and when we take a week off from work to go away, we usually don't travel far. And last week, my wife, myself, and our daughter spent seven days on Cape Cod. Now, if you're not from New England, you may not know Cape Cod, but it's very identifiable if you look at a map because it's that piece of land laying in the Atlantic Ocean on the far right side of Massachusetts that resembles an arm making a muscle. It's a beautiful, touristy place because it's surrounded by ocean. As you can probably imagine, there are some great beaches. There are a lot of good seafood restaurants and some lovely hiking trails. Anyway, I, I don't know about you, but when I'm on vacation, I rarely have any kind of agenda. The, the best parts of vacations for me are when I'm laying on my back reading a book. And I brought three with me last week, and I was able to get through two of them. And speaking of books, did you know that I'm the author of nine novels that are all currently available in both ebook and paperback formats worldwide via Amazon? It's true, although there are no ads and uh, there is no Patreon set up for this podcast, I do have books for sale. And if you'd like to help support myself and People Are the Enemy monetarily and get yourself or the reader in your life some quality fiction, please consider purchasing any or all of my stories. As I mentioned, all nine of my titles are available via Amazon, but if you don't use Amazon, you can find all of my novels in ebook format at Google Play. Just type my last name, M-A-S-C-O-L-A. That's how you'll find me on Google Play. If you prefer paperbacks but you don't use Amazon, most of my titles are available as softcovers at barnesandnoble.com. BN.com if you've got a bus to catch. If you've already purchased any or all of my books, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely appreciate your generous patronage. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song. Listeners, this is episode 241 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out. Thank you for spending time with me. Thank you for being with me. Uh, you're in the right place. As you know, this is the best podcast there is. Hail. What's the matter with these people listening to any podcast that isn't People Are the Enemy? I don't know. Anyway, we've got a great show for you today. I'm going to talk to you about some stuff that I did over vacation. I'm going to talk to you about uh, some funny things, uh, some uh, some uh, maybe not so funny things, and uh, we're going to have a good time. But uh, I wanted to uh, open up the show with a little bit of Redbone, and I don't know why. I just kind of <laughs> just heard the song, and I was like, oh yeah, that'd be fun to start with a little karaoke version of Redbone's Come and Get Your Love. There it is. Yeah. Feels good, right? Come and get your love. Yeah. Come and get your love. 
Yeah, baby! Come and get your love. Yeah! Okay, we'll stop it there. <laughs> You know, I, I, I talked to a, to a listener of this show and a past guest of this show, actually, Dave from Knoxville, and he said, uh, I, I sang him happy birthday over the phone, and he said, you know what, you should, you should sing on the podcast more. So I'm trying to do that. <laughs> I don't know if, that, if that's working or not, but uh, it, it does make for a good start. It does kind of loosen me up before I start talking, which I kind of like. And speaking of talking, I know that the last few episodes of this show, maybe more than, than a few, have, have been just me speaking during my segment. And uh, I wanted to let you know that guests are coming. Yeah, I, I, I believe me when I tell you, I am trying to get guests. I do reach out to folks. A lot of folks sometimes will say, yeah, let me think about it. I'll get back to you. Some folks ghost me completely, <laughs> you know, and I've got to take that. I have a hard time with rejection, but it's sort of like this thing where I have to say, okay, all right, they don't want to do the show. It's okay. Don't take it personally. You know, there's a lot of other people out there and Rather than give you a rejection, Andy, they're they're simply just disappearing, and, and maybe that's the most polite way to do things. Rather than even you know, you know, not responding at all is 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 maybe in their opinion nicer than saying uh, no, thank you, you know, not interested. Uh, we're gonna say no to this, <laughs> but no, trust me when I tell you there are guests coming. I've got some things in the works. If you want to be the first to know. Uh, my suggestion would be that you that you follow us on Twitter. Uh, people are the enemy. It's a letter R in the middle, uh, and you you can follow along, and you will get the latest updates as, and the the links as far as they come out when the show goes up. You'll find out who's going to be on the show before I announce it. Um, and uh, yeah, when I say before I announce it, I mean before you know I announce it on the show. I you'll you'll see them first there. And if uh, if if you're so inclined and you want to check out past guests, we've got a beautiful portfolio of photographs of all our past guests on the show's Instagram. Uh, people are the enemy on Instagram. You follow along there and we will follow you back. And that goes to the Twitter too. If you follow us on Twitter, we'll follow you back there too. So a uh, good way to stay in, in touch. And, and it's, believe me, believe me, the guests that we have coming are well worth you knowing about and you'll be excited. And uh, I promise I, uh, I've i got some interesting folks as, uh, as I always do. And, uh, and we'll have some great episodes for you on the way. But as for today, it's just me. So... So, uh, yeah, I just was going to talk to you a little bit about the vacation. I did a lot of reading. As I mentioned, I did a lot of sleeping. <laughs> I, guess, I guess I needed sleep. I, I'm the kind of person where, you know, my favorite thing, I think I, I said this uh, I said this in the opening, on vacation and otherwise, is I just, I love to read. I'm a reader. You know, I'm a writer also, but I, I also, I mean, my passion is, is literature. And reading and writing are, are both things I, I very much enjoy. And when I'm on vacation, I did do some writing. actually wrote an album review while I was away. And uh, that should be coming out next week if you follow me on Surviving the Golden Age or follow my music reviews, album reviews there. That should be coming out next week. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I I did a lot of reading, you know. And uh, I read two Michelle Hualbeck books. And don't judge me. <laughs> yes, I know. Like... If you're a fan of, uh, of 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 literature, if you know if you know if you're up to date as far as who is popular in you know as far as novelists in Europe, uh, you may have heard of Michel Houellebecq. And I guess the best way to compare him to somebody who doesn't know him, if you're in the United States, would be to say he's sort of France's Brett Easton Ellis, where you know Brett Easton Ellis 
in America, uh, for those who don't know, wrote American Psycho, um, wrote Less Than Zero, some, you know, very edgy, subversive stuff. And, um, and uh, as of late, I'd say as of like the last six years, uh, has said some controversial things, things I don't necessarily agree with, meaning Brett Easton Ellis. And I've sort of decided to, while I appreciate what he does as far as his, his fiction, I've decided not to give that person any of my money if I can help it. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, I feel like you vote with your dollar as far as people are concerned. And if somebody is, you know, saying things that are, aren't, um, you know, if somebody's saying things that are, are, you know, I don't agree with ideologically or, 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 you know, that are controversial and polarizing, even if it's that they're just trying to drum up publicity, uh, I distance myself, and I've done the same thing with Morrissey, you know, and I've done, you know, even though I hate to mention that person's name now on the show, but um, I was a Morrissey fan for a long, long time, and then uh, the things he said got increasingly inflammatory and seemed to kind of contradict his, um, the things that he'd said early on in his, the earliest parts of his career, and his, uh, you know, obviously I think the Smiths are maybe my favorite British band, uh, you know, above, even above and beyond the, you know, the Beatles, really. I, I love the Smiths. And uh, I think some of the, the music, the music obviously was wonderful, but the lyrics and the things that Morrissey wrote and sang about, you know, those years uh, as the the front man of the Smiths, I thought were just remarkable and beautiful and uh, kind of stuck with me. And that, that, you know, here, you know, 30, 40, 35, 40 years later, he contradicts those things absolutely um, is appalling and, and kind of frightening. And, uh, and it obviously is a turnoff, especially if you're, if you're kind of romanticize what the Smiths were and what they, they stood for. And which I think, again, you take that time in that, in that, that, that place. And, you know, you, you put, uh, you put a little bubble around the Smiths and those albums and, uh, you know, it's, it's perfect. You know what I mean? This perfect little time, perfect little place and, and perfect little albums I say little albums, perfect albums with amazing songs and amazingly poignant lyrics um, that I think are, are some beautifully, beautifully, uh, beautiful universal themes. And then you look at Morrissey's solo career and it seems to get more and more kind of caustic and inflammatory and um, anti-multicultural, to say the least. And it's a real turnoff. And, and again, a complete um, contradiction of what he was saying on those albums in the eighties. And I'm not going to get into specifics, uh, but you can easily find specifics if you're looking for them uh, to see what I mean. But, um, <clears throat> sorry, I got off complete off topic. I was going to say that Michelle Huelbeck, similarly, very good author. Uh, I think I, I enjoy his writing. I enjoy his fiction, uh, his, his personal opinions and takes on, on a lot of things. I, I wonder if in part he says in order to stir up controversy or kind of, um, get attention, uh, or if he honestly feels this way, and again, I, I'm not going to get into it. I I feel it's I feel it's a little safer to appreciate his work, if only because he's in Europe, and you know, while he can talk about American politics all he wants, he really has no effect on American politics here. Um, but uh, again, somebody that I I won't give any money to, but I I do enjoy his books and. I will take them out of the library if my library gets them. I don't know if that's supporting a person, but I feel like if I'm not opening my wallet for one of his books brand new, then I'm not, you know, contributing to his bad behavior. How's that? I, I suppose even just talking about his books is promoting him in some way, but um, but that's neither here nor there. There's a, there's a triumvirate, a trilogy, uh, 
<laughs> so those are the big three right there. Uh, and I, I know somebody had mentioned it. I think I think it was in a Morrissey review. I remember this writer for Pitchfork mentioned it. Mentioned that that Morrissey, Brett Easton Ellis, and Michelle Huelbeck all kind of are those these three people who are very good at what they do artistically, but can say very polarizing things and um, can you know kind of know how to stir the poop, so to speak. You know what I mean, and get people talking about them. Um, and maybe that's the key to staying popular. I don't know. But uh, to me, it's a turnoff. And uh, I'm not interested in, in, in promoting those people, so I won't talk about them anymore, and we'll move on. Sorry about that. I <laughs> didn't mean to get off on that tangent. There, there were some... Um, but anyway, back, uh, as far as books, to, to, we can jump off that topic and uh, and still kind of stay on topic. And, and as far as books, my wife is, is editing the first paperback proof copy of my forthcoming novel, my 10th novel, which will be called The Peeper and the Playwright. Uh, I, I, I think I mentioned it on the last podcast episode that I'd ordered it. And uh, we left for vacation on Saturday, and it was uh, scheduled to arrive at my residence uh, on Saturday. And I thought, this is great. Well, I'll, I'll get it before we leave for vacation, and we'll be able to go. Well, it showed up three days before that. It showed up on the Wednesday prior um, to, to us leaving, which was great. So we brought that with us and my wife began editing it and she immediately began finding, uh, finding things that needed to be changed. And so I was eternally grateful. I know it sounds weird, you know, but I've edited this thing, you know, I've gone through this manuscript from beginning to end 12 times, making changes, uh, every which way in order to make it the most entertaining, um, an interesting story that it can be. You know what I mean? Just trying to make it as as great as it can be. I, I know I, I described this, I think I put it on Twitter, like when I was a little kid, my cousin and I used to used to make these these trails for our bikes where we'd create like an obstacle course. It'd be like, okay, first you're going to have to go around this rock and then you're going to go over this jump and we'd put like a, you know, like a board with a with a, uh, with a, you know, on a little hill or something like that and make it, you know, you, you'd go over the jump. And then when you go over the jump, you've got to kind of make an S with the bike. And then you've got to do a skid here. And then you've got to go over here and around this tree. And we kind of made this this path and we keep tweaking the path to make it so that the bike ride was as interesting as possible and as fun. And then we'd ride it, you know what I mean? And then we'd make adjustments to this trail that we created. And it was fun. And I only recently kind of put that together and started analogizing it to how I write a book where I, I try to, I try to make it as interesting as possible. And if there are any boring spots, I've got to inject something, something entertaining in them. You know what I mean? So again, reading the book, reading the manuscript from beginning to end, and then rereading it and saying, okay, what needs to be tweaked here? What needs to be made better? What needs to be made more interesting for, for the reader so that this is entertaining from beginning to end, Let's make a change there. This feels a little dry here. Let's. What can we add here? What can we make do to make this make the story more interesting so that the reader will want to keep reading and they'll continue to be entertained. That's what I do. So yeah. Um. But yeah. Uh, still, there there are errors. And I was gonna say I love when my wife looks and you know reads my my book and she's very careful and she goes through and she says um you said this here but you also said this over here so which one is it you know and I'll be like oh. Good catch. And then I'll say mark that and she'll mark it. And of course, she'll go through and mark other things that are obvious errors and whatnot. And again, it's uh, it's great to have another set of eyes on it. I'm not the kind of person that like sits there and looks over a reader's shoulder 
and we're like, oh, did you get to this part yet? Did you get to that part yet? I am not that person. I, I, I'd read Stephen King's On Writing, and he talked about how he was like that with his wife, where his wife would read his stuff, and then he'd be kind of like rubbing his hands together and itching for her, to, you know, being excited about what part she was at, or et cetera, et cetera. I am not like that at all. I am more like, please, be, you know, just go through it with a fine-tooth comb and, and look for anything that could be wrong because I want to put something out there that's great. And I want to, I, you know, I'm, if I'm charging for a product and I do charge for my books, as you, as you know, <laughs> then, uh, then I want to give, give people something wonderful and, um, you know, without, without flaws. Uh, I got some more while I was away on vacation. I got some more, um, edits, uh, for the, uh, for the cover art. And uh, there's two covers that LJ Rock has provided that look outstanding, and I we, we like them both. And I when I say we, I mean myself and LJ Rock. Um, and and I I thought like, and he said ultimately it's up to you. And I said okay, well I'm I'm thinking maybe I'll do one cover for the paperback and then use another one of his covers that he came up with, which is a, a slight variation for for the ebook version. So there'll be there'll be two different covers, but only slightly different, but just because uh, because they're they're both so they're both so so uh, beautiful, so well done. You know, I I planned on talking about other things, and I only talked about books uh, during this episode. I'm sorry I hadn't talked about a whole lot of music. I can I can tell you, however, I will I will share with you when I was away. I I went to this great flea market where, and if you follow me on Twitter, you might have might have seen some of the albums I found. They were like uh, CD bins that were like a dollar CDs. And uh, I found a couple fall CDs. Uh, I found a uh, Guided by Voices Mag Earwig album, which I, I didn't own. And uh, I found a Team Beat Records. Um, shoot, it's right here. I actually have a copy, but I found another copy. I, I did, didn't buy it. I'm not into buying duplicates, but it's Team Beat Records, uh, the Olympic Death Squad album, number 200 uh, from Team Beat. I'm a huge Team Beat fan. If you if you know Team B Records and you know Mark Robinson, you know I've spoken to him, spoken with him rather, on this podcast. That was an outstanding, uh, outstanding conversation. I was so, so lucky and so appreciative to have Mark Robinson give me his time. Uh, great, great stuff. Um, but yeah, so it was cool, you know, I've, to find like, you know, you go to an outdoor flea market and you see like all these these CDs, you know, that are dirt cheap and you want to like, you, you, you look through them and you can find some diamonds in the rough. That's always exciting for me. I love the search. I, 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 I'm not the kind of person who tends to buy something that's used and priced uh, for collectors. Like that is a real turnoff to me. I went to another, I went to a, a store, a collectible store uh, and on Cape Cod and I won't mention it if only because the prices were just astronomically astronomical and absurd just like you know i i think i i found a used i know i found a used copy of of david bowie's scary monsters which was his 1980 album maybe his last great album but a used copy and they wanted 60 dollars for it i was like are you kidding that's an album i i found like last year at a goodwill for two dollars you know what i mean it just seems like ridiculous and i suppose if you're a person that doesn't like to go digging through digging through the bins so to speak you know and uh of um of thrift stores and flea and, and flea markets and whatnot uh and you like to have things curated for you and picked out and you don't like to get your hands dirty then i suppose maybe you buy a 60 dollar copy of a, a 40 year old david bowie album but for me it was just like this is this is this is absurd uh you know but um 
but you know, and, and again, I, I, if, if it's, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm not going to, not going to name the place if only because, uh, I, I don't want you to, um, I'd rather you not patronize them and waste your time, you know, but anyway, um, that's about all I've got for you. I'm going to hand things over now to Rachel from Des Moines with the chart chat. Take it away, Rachel. Thanks, Andy. Hello, and welcome back to Rachel's chart chat for another week. Thank you to everyone who listened last week. I got a nice message from Tavy who said she listened to People Are the Enemy while folding some laundry. Glad to be able to keep you company during that task. Also, thanks to our own Tommy Tallahassee and my good bud Tony for backing me up on liking Far From Over. I really thought I would have to RIP my mentions uh, with people tweeting me that black and white photo of Frank Stallone, but that did not happen. This week for the 70s chart, we're going to August 6th of 1977. And starting off at number 95 is the song Sunshine by the group Enchantment. And this would make it to number 45 uh, and was a number three hit on the R&B chart. The band was founded by high school friends in Detroit in the late 60s. And they had a few albums. This one, the first one, uh, had this great uh, album cover of a, for the illustration of a frog on it, which kind of drew me in a little bit in addition to liking the song. And they made a few albums through the late 70s and early 80s before breaking up. At number 94, we have the Ramones with Sheena is a Punk Rocker. This one would make it to number 81, but it was honored by the magazine NME as the number five track for the year 1977. And when I was researching this one, I learned that it replaced the song Carbana Not Glue on their second album, Leave Home, when they had to do a second pressing because Carbana was a trademark product. They couldn't have that on their album. But then it was also remixed and re-released on their third album, Rocket to Russia. And the song lyrics I read on Wikipedia were inspired by the comic book character Sheena, Queen of the Jungle. At number 89 is George Benson with The Greatest Love of All. And this was written by Michael Masser and Linda Creed for the film uh, The Greatest, which is a biopic on Muhammad Ali. And Linda Creed was also known as a lyricist with uh, Tom Bell. The two of them wrote a lot of songs together um, for the Stylistics and other Philly soul artists. And then you may know this song more for the Whitney Houston cover. And I did read that, uh, unfortunately, Linda Creed had passed away from breast cancer just a few weeks before Whitney's version hit number one. Uh, but George Benson's version went to number 24, and it was a number two hit on the R&B charts. And I read a great quote on wikipedia from the, the other songwriter he said here was a man who wanted to change his name and religion that's all ali hadn't believed in the war in vietnam and re had refused to fight in it he won that battle through the legal system still he lost everything including his title but ali retained the most important thing of all his dignity i just thought that was a great quote with uh, with what the, he put into the song. But yeah, read up on Linda Creed. She had a really amazing career and was very sadly taken from us too soon. But yeah, there's a playlist of the songs that she and Tom Bell wrote together that I've added on my profile. At number 86 is I Feel Love by Donna Summer. And this would make it to number six eventually. Uh, this was written by Giorgio Moroder. And I watched a YouTube video on the Reverb YouTube channel that said he used the Moog Modular Synth. The album is called I Remember Yesterday, and the idea behind it was that the songs would be from different time periods, and then this I Feel Love was going to represent the future of music. And when you, it's very synth, it's synth driven, it's really amazing. Um, if you haven't heard this song in a while, it might just click with you suddenly, or if you watch that making of video, maybe you get a little more out of it. And I read that uh, Brian Eno, when he first heard it, he rushed in to show David Bowie and say, this is the future of music. So I think they were onto something with that one. 
At number 71, we have the Star Wars-themed Cantina Band by Miko. This will go on to be a number one hit. This song was not officially affiliated with the movie. Um, the, the Miko, a.k.a. Domenico Minardo, had gone to see Star Wars like everybody else, and he was so inspired that he created this disco version. And he had been a jazz musician and also became a disco producer. And as a fun fact, I learned that when he was at music school in Rochester, New York, he had been in a jazz band with Chuck Mangione. And Miko went on to do his kind of his take on different movie songs, notably the Star Wars uh, original trilogy, as they say. But he also has a cool version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. At number 34, we have the Brothers Johnson with Strawberry Letter 23. And this would eventually peak at number five. The original version was done by Shuggy Otis. Uh, but then when the Brothers Johnson had their cover, they got Lee Rittenauer to do the guitar solo on it, and he tried to replicate exactly the Shuggy Otis version. This is according to Wikipedia, as usual. And I read that the 12-inch was put out on strawberry-scented vinyl, and the 7-inch had a strawberry-scented sleeve, which is pretty cool. And if you're like me and you're a fan of the band Justice, thus their song Canon kind of covers, or I don't, it's hard to explain, but... You can definitely hear it, and I think I was—I kind of liked Strawberry Letter 23 already, but after I realized and made a connection that it was in that song, I really loved it. And finally, from the 70s this week, we have Float On by The Floaters, and they were a Detroit uh, R&B vocal group, and the younger brother of one of the member, one of the guys in The Floaters was a younger brother of a member of the Detroit Emeralds, and this song and uh, would eventually make it to number two. And it combines the trends at the time of astrology with, you know, phone dating, personal ads. So it's got these spoken verses where the guys all introduce themselves and give their uh, their sign. And then it has a sung chorus. And this one is a lot of fun, I think. And I would like to dedicate this song to Hoovertron and everybody in the Twitch chat at, on the VJ Big Suit Show who appreciates a song from some gentlemen in some matching suits. Now turning to the 80s, we're going to August 5th of 1989, and starting off at number 80 is It's Not Enough by Starship, and this was their last appearance in the top 40, and at this point, Grace Slick had left the band, uh, but they still had Mickey Thomas on lead vocals, and I was actually shocked when I read that she does not appear in the song, I guess I'm just so used to hearing their blend of their two voices on other uh, Starship and Jefferson Starship songs. At number 67 is the Beastie Boys with Hey Ladies, and this would eventually make it to number 36, and this was off of their second album, Paul's Boutique. This was uh, one that it was very critically acclaimed at the time. Uh, maybe it, the fans at the time didn't quite get it, but then it's become to come to be quite a classic in the hip-hop world, and it has uh, over, there's 15 named samples on the Wikipedia page. I think the most one you'd notice the most is Machine Gun by the Commodores. And it was notable, I read, that it was the first single to chart in the top 20 of the hot rap singles and modern rock tracks charts. At number three, excuse me, at number 53 is Girl I'm Gonna Miss You by Millie Vanilli. This would eventually make it to number one. And this is actually their third number one single in a row. And I picked this one because maybe it's lesser known among their songs. And I just love the sound of it. And my official opinion on Millie Vanilli is like, I don't care that it wasn't really the guys singing. You could just call it, you know, a project and not a band. And it wouldn't really matter who the singers were. I mean, people should get credit on the album for singing. But if you want to have different guys be in the video, 
who cares? At number 35 is Me, Myself, and I by De La Soul. And unfortunately, it'll only get one point higher to number 34, but of course it's gone on to be a Stone Cold classic over the years. Two of the great samples on this one are Not Just Knee Deep by Funkadelic and Funky Worm by the Ohio Players, a past chart pick. De La Soul was a hip-hop group from Long Island, and this was off of their first album, Three Feet High and Rising. And unfortunately, you cannot find De La Soul on streaming, really, and it was due to sample clearances and ownership issues. Uh, but it seems like every few months there's an update that it could be coming soon. So hopefully that comes for them so they can uh, get the streaming revenue that could be coming to them. And even more so than that, just gain a new audience and a new generation of fans. And uh, I like just caught my eye that this was right between uh, Heaven by Warrant at number 36 and then If I Could Turn Back Time by Cher at number 34. So we're seeing these very eclectic charts in 89. I think that's going to transition into what we saw in the 90s charts. At number 9 is Cold Hearted by Paula Abdul. The video for this one is um, based on Take Off With Us from the movie All That Jazz. And, you know, very sensual dancing and amazing choreography by Paula Abdul, of course. And I think the song, apart from the video, is really cool. And this is another one, like, people might know it, but it's maybe overshadowed by Straight Up or uh, Opposites Attract. And finally this week at number one is Bat Dance by Prince. And this was his fourth number one on the pop charts. I was reading in my uh, number one hits book that the way this kind of happened was a bit of corporate synergy between the Warner Music and the Warner Brothers film division. Uh, there was like, well, uh, we're seeing a lot of purple in the film and we thought of Prince for purple and he is the purple king, of course, as never not funny listeners know. Uh, but I read that Prince flew to London on the Concord to watch some Tim Burton shooting some scenes of the film and he got to view a rough cut. And that helped him uh, to create the music for the film. And there was also a separate score in addition to the soundtrack. So two different albums that came out of this one. Well, that's all for me this week. Thanks so much. Back to you, Andy. Thank you, Rachel. Wow. Some great, great data there. Holy moly. You know, I, 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 it's not hyperbole when I say I listen to my own podcast more than anybody else's. And I will definitely be listening to this one a couple times. I was taking notes furiously during uh, Rachel's segment there, if only because there was so much musical knowledge that I, I and tidbits I'd had no idea about. Thank you so much, Rachel. That was so... The research done and uh, the information, the way you've uh, presented it was, was fantastic, and I can't wait to listen to this a couple more times, if only to get this into my brain so that I can uh, uh, I can impress my music nerd friends <laughs> <laughs> with these uh, with these uh, tidbits, uh, just wonderful, wonderful stuff. I had no idea the greatest love of all was a cover. I had no idea. And then uh, all that information about the Ramones, Sheena is a punk rocker. I knew the Sheena character, didn't know that it was uh, based on on the, that comic book character. The disco, that Giorgio Moroder Star Wars. Uh, I had that record as a kid, or some kind of off-brand copy. Maybe it was some, I, I don't know, but I, I had like... It 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 was like it looked like concept art on the cover of my copy, almost like somebody was told what Star Wars was, but but like but hadn't seen the movie and kind of just made it up. <laughs> that's what it looked like, or maybe it was some kind of like 
third party was licensing the music and uh, for that reason couldn't use actual uh, uh, footage or, or, or images from, from the film, but it had some kind of like junky artwork on it, but I was a huge Star Wars nut when I was a kid, so of course I had that record. The strawberry scented vinyl? In 1977, holy moly! That was a that was a, the the uh, the Shuggy Otis song that fl the uh, the one that or at least Shuggy Otis had has performed at one point. I wasn't sure if he he'd done it again. I'm gonna have to re-listen to to Rachel's segment, but uh, that there was strawberry scented vinyl in 1977. How cool is that? And uh, yeah, I mean, and I can't even, don't even get me started on 1989. I was huge into music that year, and. Uh, but but most notably, uh, me myself and I, De La Soul, I am a huge, still am a huge De La Soul fan. Those first three albums are incredible. Whatever you think about hip hop and rap, um, you, you you need if you if you 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 want to explore the old school, you need to check out De La Soul. Those first three albums are are so important uh, in the history of hip hop. I think. You know, there's so much gangster rap out there and, and posturing, most especially from obviously male rappers who were, uh, you know, ubiquitous uh, through the majority of the, you know, the, the first 20, 25 years of hip hop. Uh, not so much anymore, thankfully, but yeah, it took a while. But, you know, I think De La Soul, again, all fellas, but it uh, had a sense of humor and were able to put those guys who were posturing and uh, the, the thugs, quote unquote thugs or quote unquote gangsters, basically made fun of them. And, and it was fantastic what they were doing. It was like, if, you know, if, if there were rap punks, uh, the, uh, that was De La Soul, you know, just basically going against the grain and kind of, uh, kind of poking fun at their peers. Just wonderful and super smart. And the sampling was amazing. We'll never make albums like that again. It would be, it would be astronomically expensive. And, uh, uh, speaking of astronomically expensive, and Rachel mentioned this, I hope those those fellas get their due finally. I know that that music, I believe, has been purchased and is supposed to be made available on streaming services. And hopefully, as Ra and even as Rachel mentioned, will be introduced to an entirely new audience, and deservedly so. Those uh, first three, and you might even say the first four, um, De La Soul albums, I think are so important and so uh, so wonderful. Um I saw them for the Stakes is High tour, and uh, they were fantastic. I saw them at a little club in Massachusetts, and, and Biz Marquis and Pharaoh Monch were the two opening acts, and uh, and it was it was just amazing. I just I loved it. I loved it. I think I won tickets. I know I won tickets uh, via a radio contest. Yeah. Anyway, uh, folks, this has been episode 241 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as $1.99. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you, Rachel from Des Moines. We love you. Peace.